Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. You're sensitive to the signals of their developmental compass, internal compass about how to grow well. And as long as you are sensitive to that, they're going to have a great life. Because those early years are when they establish what kind of person they are. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 344. Today, we're talking about indigenous wisdom for parenting with Darsha Narvaez. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you can give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Hey, thanks for being here. I'm so glad you're here. Listen, if you haven't done so yet, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you get some value from this podcast, please just do me a favor. Go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. It just helps the podcast grow more. It takes about 30 seconds of your time. I really greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. In just a moment, we're going to be sitting down with Darsha Narvaez. She's professor of psychology at University of Notre Dame and host of EvolvedNest.org. And she employs a lifespan interdisciplinary approach to studying morality, child development, and human flourishing. She's the author of the award-winning book, Neurobiology and the Development of Human Morality, Evolution, Culture, and Wisdom. She blogs for Psychology Today and hosts 
TheEvolvedNest.org. And I'm so excited for you to talk to Darsha with me because we're going to talk about indigenous wisdom and the influence on health, well-being, and our society and our kids, right? And I want you to listen for some important takeaways. The importance of community in raising children. We're really isolated and it's incredibly hard on parents. Our children were not meant to be raised in isolation and it's really hard on us. So this is an important takeaway. Listen for the importance of being sensitive to the signals of a child's developmental compass. And finally, to allow and encourage curiosity and independence. I love talking to Darsha. This is such a valuable conversation. Not all the habits we have from our culture and our family are are amazing. And we're going to start to talk about some alternative ways of looking at things that are really, really valuable. And hey, listen, if you're listening to this the week this comes out, you can still have time to join our Mindfulness Challenge for Parents, April 26th to May 2nd, 2022. You know, you may have heard about the benefits of mindfulness, but are you practicing? Mindfulness, you know, it really helps us calm our reactivity. You know, there's people in high stress jobs everywhere from active duty military to the NBA to surgeons, right, who are practicing. Why not parents? We have high stress jobs. This really, really helps us. So I've made it super simple for you to start. You can join my free seven day challenge at mindfulmamamentor.com challenge. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash challenge. That link should be in the show notes wherever you're listening to this. You can go to your phone and look at the notes and look at those links and you'll find mindfulmamamentor.com slash challenge. You might as well, it's free. And you'll see some amazing benefits. Now join me at the table as I talk to Darsha Narvaez. For the parents who are raised with a with 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 western parents who you know sort of quote unquote traditional parents who are uh, uh you know very you know about the rewards and the punishments and independence i had a lot of independence pushed on me when i was a kid um and now we're going into parenting our own kids and we may have some different ideas about how we want to parent our kids and we we may have some better ideas about attachment and their emotional and, and mental health and well-being. Um, what are the things that parents in this position may need? What are the things we need to know about child development that we may not be getting or yet? I just uh, published a blog post on the greatest harm to a child that can happen, and that is disconnection. And I think what we've inherited from European traditions is a forced disconnection of children, right? You separate them out at birth, you go make them sleep alone, all this independent stuff, so they don't need their parent nearby all the time. Well, that actually affects then every part of their becoming self. It affects their neurobiology, it doesn't grow as well to be you know, all the layers of social capacities, the self-regulation of various systems, the stress response, the endocrine system like oxytocin, all these things then can be dysregulated or not established in their optimal way. And the child feels abandoned um, because the baby is born, uh, we resemble fetuses till about 18 months of age compared to other animals. And we need to have that external womb experience to help the brain grow 
as it's supposed to in healthy, self-regulated ways. But the parent or the mother or the caregiver has to be there pretty much 24-7 for that little baby to grow well. In our ancestral context, we did this. But in industrialized countries, uh, we kind of, you know, forgot about that importance and just more and more kind of minimize the needs of babies so we could do our work, you know, in the factory or wherever else. Hmm. So connection. That makes a lot of sense to me as far as like, you know, when I think about other animals and other mammals, like I watched my daughter and I got to watch a horse being born. Uh, last year, which was amazing. And, but it was amazing because within an hour that, that foal was standing up and starting to wobble (laughs) around really pathetically and reaching for the mom. And then within that week, that foal was, you know, bouncing and hopping around a field. And we see that with almost like, I mean, I guess marsupials is a whole other thing. Right. But like, basically, there's a lot of being able to get up and go in most of the animal kingdom, except for humans because of you know, our, our big heads and our bipedalism, right? So, so that makes sense that, you know, so this idea that we're, we're not quite developed yet, maybe is something that we, you know, we really need to understand. I mean, we obviously we know this, but like, I think it's helpful to, to really, to understand this. I love the idea right. of the external womb. Yes, we evolved to have a brain size that's three times the size of chimpanzees. Chimpanzees' mothers raise their children alone. Uh, and a mom uh, who has a small brained species and a small brain species can do that. But we have a huge brain, and that's because, and that's why we're born so young and so immature, because the head gets too big from the bipedalism, our shrunk uh, pelvis, so we could walk on two legs. So we co-evolved this big brain, changed from being ape-like chimpanzees. We co-evolved into a cooperative, egalitarian kind of lifestyle where the baby is cared for by multiple caregivers, not just mom, because the mom can't take care of all the calories that big growing brain needs. And so we have now anthropologists are telling us and archaeologists, that's how we differ from chimpanzees. And my argument is that when we don't provide a multiple uh, adult nested care, the evolved nest, we call it, then we are undermining our full human capacities. And it's not a surprise that we look more like chimps in the way we behave because we haven't developed all the stuff that's part of being human from the, that evolved nest support. So in the first 18 months to, to really be clear about that, like you, you shared about how, how much brain development is happening there and, and development in the immune, immune system. Can you, can you go a little deeper as to what's happening in those first 18 months developmentally? Right. So there's, we can't do experiments on babies really ethically, right? So there's a lot of animal studies that do studies of, of care that's nurturing versus unnurturing care. One of the most famous is uh, with rats, where if you have a high nurturing mother in the first 10 days of life, and a high nurturing rat mother is licking their child all the time. For humans, it would be being carried all the time. 10 days of a rat's life is equivalent to about six months of a human life. 
if you have a high nurturing mother in that time period, you turn on genes that control anxiety. When you come uh, experience something new, eh, these genes can take you, calm you down. Uh, they set everything up for that. If you don't have that high nurturing mother in those 10 days, six months for us, then those genes never get turned on. You never are able to do it later because it's a sensitive or critical period for that. Mm. And so the only thing to keep you calm is drugs. This is what they show with the animal studies, right? So there's that kind of thing. A lot of epigenetic things. These researchers said we picked one gene to look at that mothers affect, but there's hundreds of them that mothering is affecting. Now, another aspect that we know more about is the stress response. Uh, the systems for the major stress response are established by comforting care in early life. If the baby is left to cry a lot, left alone a lot, that's not going to set that system up to be very well functioning. It will easily get out of whack and that child then will scream to get attention because they're dysregulated and they don't know how to calm down. They need the person, the adult, carrying them around to keep those systems calm while they're growing and establishing how they're going to work. We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend this podcast. It's really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listen to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. 
So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. So those are two examples. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and um, and that, that all those pieces are so crucial, right? Like our parents, these are, these are the crucial pieces that we want to be developed in our kids are the, are the systems for being able to regulate. So what you're saying is the sort of the, the Western idea, you know, I mean, I could say like in my family, like there, there are some, you know, immigrants from, um, Norway and England and, you know, uh, there was some, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of Lutherans in some part of the family. And there was a lot of like, like, you know, promoting independence. (laughs) And so, but this is pretty common. And this idea that of promoting into independence from a young age is, is kind of wrongheaded. It's actually going counter absolutely counterproductive to what the the desired result is. That's correct. So then what you're doing is you're you're undermining the full development at various layers, depending on when the stress occurred. We call it toxic stress now, toxic early stress. Uh, depending on when it occurred, something's going to be missing and uh, or some pattern's going to be established that's going to be problematic later. And so you don't really know but you've undermined their self-confidence as a child. You put them in a place where they, they don't feel self-reliant and they're going to be more susceptible to being controlled. Now, the Nazi parenting manuals know, knew this. They wanted you to break your child's spirit in those first couple years because they wouldn't remember it because the verbal capacities aren't developed yet, the cognitive verbal and so they wanted to, uh, parents to break their spirit so that later they could easily trigger their fear and control them. And I think we've, we're doing that kind of experiment on our kids in the United States to make them fearful, feel disconnected, and then they're easily controlled you know, by the system so that they keep the system going of working hard you know, for the, <laughs> everyone's working hard at the bottom. <laughs> and then the top kind of gets to do what they want. Yeah, hard hard work is a huge value in the states that I have a problem with <laughs> because rest and and ease and those are incredibly important too. So how is this different from the you know you have a beautiful video I love it so much but the way uh, that talks about how that compares the sort of pattern that we have inherited particularly in the in the United States and Western countries with more indigenous cultures, or if you think about it, just cultures that were more hunter-gatherer, kind of the way that humans were raised, you know, for millennia until the last, I don't know, you know brief blip of time in the timeline. So tell me about how that, how that compares. Right. We've been around for six million years, the 
uh, human species genus has been in our species for 2 million years and the last, it depends on what you're looking at, but 100, uh, 150 to 300,000 years, various uh, aspects of us have, have evolved. And all during all that time, it's only the last, especially hundreds of years, but maybe you could say the last couple hundred years where people have just shifted away from caring for babies in the way they evolved to need. We call this the evolved nest. And this is provided by hunter-gatherer communities and even other traditional communities around the world. And you can see a very different kind of personality that results, a little uh, different cooperation capacity, a uh, different way of feeling connected to the earth uh, that we're missing in the Western uh, world. Um, and just as a result, destroying the planet in my view. So all this stuff layers up into kind of the crises that we have. I attribute a great deal to those early years of life and then the lack of nestedness even for adults. Yeah, so I mean, you're yeah. describing like independence, this sort of attitude of independence, right? Like we're these unique people who are just on our own doing things in the world versus you know, what interdependence, right? This is what um, my teacher Thich Nhat Hanh talked about a lot was interdependence, right? That we inter are, you are because I am. The, 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 the paper has a tree in it and the cloud that rained on the tree and the workers that cut the tree and all of that, right? Like, so this idea of interdependence is not a, like a, a very welcome idea to a lot of Americans, <laughs> but you're talking about that, this idea of independence versus interdependence and the results of that. Yes, that's right. And one of the reasons that Americans, I think, don't like to think about interdependence is because of that broken connection in early life. So they were punished for their desire for dependence in those early years when you really need it to grow well. They were punished for that uh, and bullied. Uh, I think bullying starts with baby care and bullying babies into sleeping alone or whatever it is. Uh, and then they're not going to, and they're, so one of the other physical aspects, physiological aspects is the vagus nerve. Vagus nerve is a 10th cranial nerve. It innervates, it energizes all the major systems of the body. And so when it's, it gets established well with comforting nested care, when you're left to cry alone and left alone, uh, it doesn't get established well. And then you can have all sorts of health problems. You can have brain seizures, heart problems, breathing problems, gut problems. Uh, but it's also uh, linked to being able to be intimate with others, to feel close, to actually you know, hug people, <laughs> let them touch you. And it's, that's linked to compassion. So when that's not established well, you're going to be kind of, you know, irritable and kind of, you know, keep away from me <laughs> oriented. And Americans sort of have that uh, characteristic these days, uh, I think in part because we've undermined early childhood. So what does nested care look like then? Well, we can start with gestation. The baby is wanted, the parents have healthy bodies before conception and during uh, pregnancy, then the mom feels loving towards the baby so that the biochemistry the baby's getting in the, in the body of the mother is actually promoting growth. 
when there's evidence now, if the mom gets stressed a lot in pregnancy, that's carried over into the physiology of the child in various ways. Even grandparents who go, to, go through a famine, for example, affect a grandchildren's health in various ways. So there's that aspect. Then there's birth and the perinatal experiences needs to be soothing and uh, follow the patterns of the baby. Babies vary by how long they stay in the womb by about 55 days. Wow. So any, so any, <laughs> yeah, amazing. So any due date that's, you know, uh, selected is really a guess because you don't know how, uh, what that baby is oriented to or needs. Right. So that drives me crazy. The whole yeah. due date thing. Yeah. They like, they count certain number of days and, and then it's so much matters on this due date that somebody has guessed on and we don't really know when conception happens. It's so frustrating. Yeah. And then they force the baby out if they think it's the, you know, according to that due date and then babies are born premature in a way we don't count it that way. But so then there's that separating mom and baby, not good. The reward systems of both their bodies are ready, ready to glom onto each other. Like this permanent magnetic force and you separate them that it's sort of like stopping uh, lovemaking in the middle. It's hard to get back into it, right? <laughs> if someone interrupts you, you know, that flow of energy is just gone. <laughs> we do all sorts of things to babies that uh, uh, induce pain at birth. For example, circumcision is a horrible thing. For example, tra- traumatic that lasts the lifetime psychologically and physiologically. Then after birth, you want to have a soothing birth. Uh, and then you want to breastfeed. Now, breast milk uh, is uh, this magic elixir, got thousands of ingredients, builds the immune system with all immunoglobulins needed, which takes years to develop. And so our heritage of breastfeeding, the average age of weaning that's been noted, documented around the world in these places where the nest is provided is four years, four years. That's the average. That means it goes beyond that in some communities. So oh I know I'm not sure I can close <laughs> <that>. the mind. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> right. So I know there are moms that uh, feel like they can't breastfeed. And then there are all sorts of things that interfere with success. Uh, so what we need to do, of course, is to have milk banks and wet nurses. Other mm. countries have those in hospitals, for example, wet nurses. Uh, but we're a for-profit health care system here. So we don't promote health, optimal health um, necessarily. So uh, breast milk is really important. Formula is just sort of a good emergency food to keep the child alive, but it doesn't have all this good stuff that's going to build the psychology and the neurobiology of being a human being. Uh, Then there's a welcoming climate, a welcoming social climate. The child is wanted and and loved, feels like they belong. And this is a community of caregivers. So allo parents or allo mothers beyond the mother. And Can you some, just define that, allopants? That, so that means they're providing the mother-like care. In our ancestral context, it's even breastfeeding uh, a baby that's not yours. Oh, example. wow. Okay, so she, so Darsh is saying like people around the mother, alloparents are like almost parents, right? Like there are people around the mother who are also providing care. Gosh, this is like, keep going. But as you describe <laughs> this, I like weep for our, our culture, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I know. So allo means other. So it's other mothers, other nurturers, essentially. And, and what do we want those nurturers to be like? We want them to be responsive. So in babyhood, baby, keeping the baby calm, 
So you don't hear babies crying in these, in these societies. If the baby makes a sound because they've been put down for a second, they'll say, oh, pick up the baby, pick up the baby, uh, because you want to keep them calm in order to develop a calm personality and keep all the healthy biochemistry going. And the, I mean, not that they examined all this, but they had intuitions about it. And then there's uh, affectionate touch. So alla mothers and mothers will carry the baby around pretty much 24 seven until they become mobile. And then the baby gets to choose whether to be in arms or moving around. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, months of caring and co-sleeping and such safely, of course. Uh, then there's uh, free play. Babies are actually under natural conditions, ready to play from birth. They're ready to have the back and forth communication with the caregiver could be dad that's holding the baby skin to skin if the mom is uh, can't do that or the mother and then to develop that uh, kind of playful interaction conversations and little games uh, and throughout childhood our right hemisphere is growing more rapidly in the first years but it's also gathering experiences that the left brain the conscious mind is going to access to decide what to do in life so children are oriented to play, 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 play when they feel safe and well, which is the way they learn. And it's ideally social play with other people. So you learn then how to get along in that creative moment with the other without overdoing your aggressive kind of uh, in your face um, activities and uh, reacting to the other. And, and you have to learn then to control your aggression. You have to learn to of read expressions and read your partner plays the best thing in the world as argue or suggest to adults that if you are were unnested how to get back to you know a healthy yeah, way of being is to go play with kids <laughs> little kids play chase play tag play wrestling and climb trees and be silly because that's growing the right brain for the adult too kind of what i'm getting from what you said, this like kind of like ideal scenario that you've laid out, you know, that is that there's a, there's the, obviously the desire for the child to be there. There's a love, but there's a lot of responsiveness, like a paying attention to, and, you know, just attunement with the child, you know, that responsiveness, you know, it's interesting, you know, I, I guess I want to like kind of push back on a couple of things because, the research on like, you know, attachment, right. Secure attachment. It doesn't show that it doesn't show that like sort of the way kids sleep matters as far as like what, how, whether there are certain number of people with secure attachment versus insecure attachment and, um, and some of the, some of the specific behaviors, but it, what does show is that it's about the sensitivity of the, like of the caregiver, does the care, is the caregiver comfortable in their own skin? Is the caregiver like, a, you know, attuned with themselves so they can be attuned to that child, which is what you kind of, you're describing um, versus kind of like the specific behaviors of that. Right. So I don't know. I just want to offer that up and see what you, how you respond to that. Well, Hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. 
but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. My view is that the measure, measures of attachment, secure, insecure, disorganized, are just slight indicators of how well life is going for that child. It's not an optimal measure of optimality. Mm -hmm. It's just measuring that you're going to get along well enough, right? It doesn't mean that you're going to fulfill all your potential, which is what I say we should be focused on. So I think what, what's happened in research is so much has gone wrong for children <laughs> that people are so happy when they don't drop out of high school. <laughs> they don't get pregnant when they're a teenager. Whoa, what a, that's a win. Well, that's getting back to zero in my mind. We want to get each person to their hundred. I want them to be a hundred percent of who they are and their, their fullness of their uniqueness, right? And that's mm -hmm. not the, the research focus right now. I think maybe it's shifting a bit in positive psychology, but there's just a misunderstanding again of that nested care is so important for all these systems that the secure attachment measures aren't measuring. Okay. All right, cool. Um, so for people now, what my worry is that the listener is going to hear you and be like, oh, great. Now I have a five-year-old, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, and I'm worried that, you know, the, the thought in the head is I'm worried that I messed up my child. Right. And then what I'm worried is that this conversation was so valuable might put more pressure on moms and who already feels so pressured and so, uh, overwhelmed, you know, as it is, what do you say to that kind of parent? Yeah. I, I, there are a couple other, um, aspects of the nest I haven't mentioned. Let me mention mm -hmm. those. One is nature immersion and nature connection. We need that as human beings. We are earth creatures and nature calms us down. Nature heals us. Uh, and so that's a great uh, remedy for when we are distressed or overwhelmed to go sit under a tree, lie on the earth, earthing, right? Or sunning, 
Uh, those are our healing practices, which is the ninth aspect of the nest is healing routine healing practices mm. and that in our ancestral context means dancing together singing together um having healing ceremonies and and mending our you know imbalance in our bodies and ourselves in our relationships with the earth too so i think uh, once you're you're awakened to the fact that the nest is important and you, it's already past babyhood time, I think you can start to then employ the play, playfulness, the nature connection, and then healing practices, you know, cuddling and, and huggling. My husband and I always huggle, which is snuggling and hugging together. Uh, and, you know, having, um, there's things you can do as a single person too, a massage, getting massages and stuff like that. So, I know we have to kind of reorient ourselves and a lot of us adults didn't get this nestedness. So I write a lot about how to heal those, what I call primal wounds that of disconnection. So part of it is learning self-calming. If you're, if you just talk about a, a single person, uh, learning self-calming techniques, belly breathing and other kinds of things so that you can actually feel fine in your body and feel, start to feel love for yourself and love for your body then that's not enough. So with my students, my undergraduate college students, we would also learn to play together. And we'd use folk song games like hunting, we will go, hunting, we will go, we'll catch a little fox and put him in a box and then we'll let him go. And, and when you play these games together as a group, and you can do this in the family, you have to touch each other, you have to look at each other, you have to you know, pay attention to where you are in the game and you start to laugh and you start to enjoy yourself and that right brain is growing. <laughs> That's what you want. It's right hemispheres, helps you uh, develop empathy, helps you develop self-control, helps you feel connected beyond yourself. And then the last thing is also to, to uh, understand how you are connected to the whole earth, that you are never alone. You're part of this whole magical web of life and to, you know, in, immerse yourself in that kind of knowledge and insight. You know, there's a lot of stuff online now for that. I'm thinking back to with my daughters, you know, we would go hiking and play on the fallen trees while we're hiking, you know, and that was just, we would leave those kind of afternoons, like just feeling so relaxed, so connected. You know, those were really sort of these like, all these sort of healing moments for us, you know, to, to come together in, in, um, in nature was always, always everything you described. Yes. Yes. And that requires time that requires us being able to allow our kids outside, right? Like so many parents are afraid to let their kids outside, let their kids explore, let their kids climb a tree. It's okay to let them climb a tree. You know, they, uh, you can, you can spot, right? Like, <laughs> there's all kinds of things you could say, does that feel comfortable for you to be out on that limb? <laughs> um, it's probably but, better though, to not be there, to let them yeah, yeah, yeah. from the beginning explore on their own. They're smart enough. They are a body that doesn't want to die. They are, you know, cars in the street is a different matter, but if it's the natural world, they will figure it out. <clears throat> and so, you know, the book, uh, The Continuum Concept, Jean Leeloff's book, that's one of her biggest complaints about American parents. She was the one who really started the parenting uh, nestedness, she didn't call mm -hmm. it that, um, perspective. In the, she published her book in 77, I think, the first edition. 
And she had uh, took her a couple decades to write about her experiences in the Amazon with uh, the Yakwana primarily and how they were so happy and so healthy. And what's the difference? Well, they carry their babies all the time, pretty much. And uh, they don't put them down even when they're carrying other things or crossing a slippery uh, log on the river or whatever it is. And they don't monitor them with this fearfulness. Because when you do that, she was, she argued, and she used to give a lot of talks on television and stuff, interviews. Uh, when you do that, you start worrying about that child. The child is going to lose their self-confidence. Like if you're there watching them climb the tree and you start saying things to them, well, you just kind of put them on a trajectory of uh, self-confidence loss. So it's better to let them have free range, as uh, <laughs> Lenore Skenazy argues, right, out there on their own. Like our parents, you know, us baby boomers had parents who just let us play all day long, called us in for lunch, called us in for dinner, but they didn't know what we were doing, right? That's what is healthier, uh, you know, but if you can do it. This is so, I think this is so interesting because what you're describing is like a much more intensive time of parenting when your kids are young, right? Like there's a lot of attention. There's someone holding that baby all the time. Uh, there's, you know, there's lots of, lots of holding and connection, which sounds like a lot of work <laughs> and, and, but you're also describing that once that connect, once that security, that sense of, you know, connection, attunement, all of that is established, then a child's going to have a lot more confidence, a lot more independence. And so some of the things we want, that independence, right, can happen really naturally sort of as a child gets older, if we allow it. That's right. Yeah. So that means age six or so. That's when they can go off on their own and they have the cognitive capacities to think about stuff more. But you follow the, the child. Every child's different. You know, their developmental rate is different. And so it's a matter of being sensitive to them. And then as soon as they indicate they want to, you know, do something like crawl away from you, well, let them do it. Don't, don't prevent them. So you, you're sensitive to the signals of their developmental compass, internal compass about how to grow well. And as long as you are sensitive to that, they're going to have a great life. Because those early years are when they establish what kind of person they are. Do they think they're a good person, a bad person? What, what they think about relationships? Are they trustworthy or not? Is this world a good place to be or not? That's all being established subliminally by how they are treated and what they experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that, you know, my, when my oldest daughter was six, we gave her a little uh, toolkit. Actually, I remember that was the age she got this little toolkit, had a little hand crank drill, had a little saw. She just like she drilled holes into all her blocks. <laughs> we had all, all these blocks of drill holes in them. And and yeah, we showed her how to use the saw. So uh, and, and where to use the saw, not in the house or in the, in the yard. Um, but um, but yeah, those those things can happen. And, and those you know, when you have a child who is curious, you know, following, following that curiosity, kind of allowing like, okay, well, this is what you want to learn. Here's, let's learn that. Let's learn that. And part of that is letting them help with the chores around the house. Mm. They are, there seems to be a sensitive period for that between ages, maybe one and four or something where they're, 
it, they want to help, even though they do a terrible job. You have to refold the laundry, for example, right? But uh, traditional communities know that that's part of their learning, and that that's how they become part of the community. If you set them in front of the TV instead, then that period passes. They become a teenager. They don't want to help you. <laughs> they, they didn't. They learn not to help you, and then all of a sudden you want them to help you. So you got to again pay attention to what they're interested in and follow that. We want to plant the seeds young for all the things we want later. You know, for instance, like in our house, we do like a screen-free Sunday. And thank goodness we did that when they were young, this sort of Sabbath day, because now they're 11 and 14. And it's just, I can't even imagine trying to impose that upon the family at this point. Like that would not work so well. But so, so I love this idea, the sensitive period for chores, you know, that brilliant, you know, getting, get, getting the little stool, right? So you can chop the things and whatever then they'll and automatically just, help later and so what i think what you're describing darsha really requires a mentality of slowing down of 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 slowing down and having less uh, as best we can you know we know because we know some parents are you know working two jobs both parents and doing what they can to to get by but an attitude of, of slowing down enough to, to have the time and the space to give that child, to, to have it take that many more minutes to make dinner um, and, and that many more minutes to get out of the house and that many more minutes to follow around this child who's curious about things. Yeah. Yes, and to, to know that your presence is the key. Your emotional presence, your cognitive presence, you're not distracted. That's what they expect. But it's not supposed to be just on one or two caregivers, right? It's a community of caregivers so that when this particular caregiver is tired, you know, has something else to do, uh, then there's another caregiver that steps in. So that's the other thing that really is uh, handicapping us here in the States. We don't have the extended family nearby. Sometimes that extended family has this, uh, unnested ideas about how to raise a child. Oh, let them cry, or you're going to spoil the baby, or, you know, kids are resilient. Oh, it's genetics, the personality, right? No, no, all those things are myths, really. You're shaping their personality by how well you're caring for them. If you leave them in distress a lot, they're going to develop a protective um, uh, way of being in the world. And I look at morality too. So later on, they're going to be oriented. They'll trigger into the stress response that shifts the blood flow away from your higher order thinking. That's just what it does. Mobilizes you for action. It's going to be hard to learn when you're in that mode. It's hard for you to be open-hearted, hard for you to be open-minded. And you're just going to want your way of dominating someone else, you know, because you're kind of in that stress mode, or you're just going to withdraw and shrink away and disappear. We don't want either of those things, right? We want them to be themselves in the moment and be strong and flexible, no matter what happens. So we have to remember that our presence is helping their build their personality for flexibility. Intelligence is flexibility. So you don't want a rigid, scripted life. And, and parents then, I, I, I suggest that, you know, just want less. When you have a baby, want less stuff. Just be with the baby. React, you know, and be responsive. 
you don't need toys either. Don't spend money on all that stuff, right? Just be with a child, go outside, play with a, a pine cone or whatever it is, whatever the child's interested in. So yeah, I think simplifying your life is, is key, slowing it down. And what you're describing requires a lot of resources, mental resources, emotional resources, et cetera. And so the, the idea and, and dear listener, uh, there's a podcast this spring that we're all, we're also talking about how to like get caregivers into your life. And we go through how to do that. So what Darsh is describing, if you are separate from your extended family, which most of us probably are right. Like, you know, this is, she's not describing everything on mom 24 seven all the time. And mom is martyred and overwhelmed and, and destroyed by this experience, right? Like that's not going to help this child become, you know, if you're overwhelmed and you're emotionally incapacitated, that's really, really bad for the kids. So this means this is an intensive period of time when kids are young babies and up. So that means it is a time when you, as best you can to the best of your resources and abilities, get the help. Like you need it. You kids need it. We does, you deserve it. Right. And to, and to link up with other mothers, uh, other families uh, who have the kids that are the similar in age, ideally play for the child is with multiple different ages, not the same age that actually breeds competition rather than cooperation. So it's really strange for our species to put kids in a classroom of all the same age. Uh, it's not a good idea. Uh, but uh, so ideally you have, uh, you're hooked up with other families that have multiple ages. And then those kids play together while you and the mom, other moms or other parents are, you know, supporting each other, doing laundry together in one house every week or whatever, and then making dinners for the week together in another place. And there's ways to arrange this. I know it takes more energy, but in the end, that's going to then help you be there for your children. Darsha, thank you so much. I mean, I think this is so valuable. I mean, there's so many questions I want to ask you about. Like, I'm so curious about yourself personally and like your own history and things like that. But I've got, I'm sure I could just kind of sit here and talk to you for a couple hours about that. Maybe I can ask you briefly, is this is this work you've done? Like, obviously, you you know, you've been teaching this for many years and 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 studying. And and is this work you've done? a reaction against maybe the way you were brought up or a, an evolution of, of pulling forward those good seeds in the way you were brought up? Well, let me say uh, that my earliest memory is of injustice toward a child. I spent half my childhood in, in uh, outside the USA in countries where mostly third world countries where there were kids my age for example, selling gum on the corner in rags, you know, trying to get money for dinner for the family. Uh, and I would cry over those children. I thought this world, and then it come back to the States and it's like, there's all this abundance and waste and I just couldn't understand the injustice. So I have had that uh, deep, you know, you, you want to follow the trigger of your heart as to what is your passion, right? It took me a while to get back to that interest. I had a lot of other careers as a musician and classroom teacher and went to a seminary and but I'm I and eventually got my PhD in moral development because morality is the thing. It's like how can it be so unethical this world? <laughs> and it it 
then it's just taken me a lot of reading and wide uh, range of, of material to figure out that that's there's a huge cause here by the missing nest. Uh, and so I, um, I just feel passionate about it that we have to really let our children grow their beauty because right now we've created all these crises, all sorts of them around the world. And it's partially, uh, I mean, we can't solve it with the way we've been acting. We need their creative spirits to help us move past this point so that we can create a new kind of humanity. I love that. Yes. Yeah. And we need to remember that interdependence. I think our kids see it pretty clearly. I think they see it pretty clearly. It's, it's in our faces now. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to see it. Um, Darsha, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Mindful Mama podcast and share uh, share your, your wisdom with us. I really, really appreciate it. Where can people find out more about what you're doing and, and, uh, share any ahas with you? There are, uh, several websites. One is evolvednest.org. A lot of material there, podcasts, videos, essays, things like that. Kindredmedia.org is another place with a lot of material. And then our movie breakingthecyclefilm.org has uh, the six minute film that I think kind of gives you the big picture and then the resources there. There's also at uh, evolvednest.org, we have a childcare checklist for parents looking for a childcare center or for childcare center workers to assess how much the nest is supported, what to Mm. look for, that kind Mm. of thing. Cool. That's awesome. Awesome resources. I love that. Again, thank you so much, Darsha. It's been really a pleasure. I've really, really enjoyed it. And, um, and I'm, I'm so grateful you were able to come here today. Oh, me too. Thanks so much. It's just been a real honor to be with you, Hunter. What a powerful conversation, right? Oh my goodness. Hey, listen, before you go, I want to remind you that you have a chance and perhaps if time allows to join us on a mindfulness challenge I've made specifically for parents. I've made it super simple to start. It's April 26th to May 2nd, 2022, and you can join us for free at mindfulmamamentor.com slash challenge. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash challenge. That link is in the show notes wherever you're listening to this. And Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I'm just like so glad that we get to share this awesome conversations with you. And Darsha is amazing. And I loved, loved connecting with her. Listen, if you loved this episode, please do me a favor. Share it on your Instagram stories and tag me in it at Mindful Mama Mentor. And you might as well follow me there and fill your feed with awesome mindful parenting inspiration. You'll see where this Darsha Narvaez images to talk about this episode. Maybe you'll share those. You can tell me your takeaways, but I love, I love seeing it in your stories. So tag me there. And that's it. That's all I got for you today. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. Thank you for being part of the solution, right? For feeding your mind with positive information that is shifting generational patterns and you are part of it. And I really am grateful that you're here with me to be a part of this. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to connect with you again, my friend. Take care. Namaste.
say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clarkfields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.